0: Hi, everybody. hope you're doing very well. It's Stefan Molyneux of Free Domain Radio. Uh, Just a few uh, uh, updates on the Egypt situation for those who are interested. It's fascinating to me how you can really look at the language of what is being reported and understand a lot about a contemporary culture and its understanding of violence and the reality of statism. So, for instance, uh, I remember reading on the Huffington Post that uh, tanks, uh, government tanks, had been – uh, riding down the streets, cornering protesters in an attempt to quell the violence. <laughs> I mean, isn't that amazing when you think about it? Government tanks with live shells uh, and and ammunitions which can blow uh, people into their component atoms at a whim. That the imposition of this kind of astounding level of violence is an attempt to quell Violence. I mean, isn't that just amazing uh, that the hammer fist of the government coming down on people who are protesting almost exclusively peacefully, that is an attempt to quell violence. The other thing that is really fascinating to see is the degree to which there's this ridiculous and idiotic attempt to personalize things. So what they'll say is pro-Mubarak supporters did X while anti-Mubarak or anti-government supporters did Y. And they're talking about, like, throwing rocks and and, uh, and pelting each other with broken bottles and stuff like that. I mean, I don't care how charismatic this 82-year-old guy is. Uh, I, I hope that I never, ever become so charismatic, if I even am to begin with. I hope that I never become so charismatic and popular that people are willing uh, just to, you know, keep me in biscuits and gravy, are willing to go out and get their heads split open by rocks uh, it has nothing to do with being pro-Mubaric or anti-government or anti-Mubaric. The people who are, quote, pro-Mubaric are simply the people who are profiting from the regime. In a rational uh, system of, of reporting, which is far from what we've got, you would simply call these people henchmen or uh, violence profiteers or I don't know. There's not even a particularly good word for it, which is telling in and of itself. But they're not pro-Mubaric. They are not pro mubaric they are pro whatever proceeds they're getting from the government. It's like saying that the, the KGB agents were pro-Khrushchev. Uh, it's like, no, 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 they're, they're pro-being KGB agents. Uh, and of course, another thing, another reason why there's so many people out there protesting for the continuance of the state, other than those who are simply dependent upon the state for their living, are the people who are incredibly concerned and with damn good reason that if this tyranny falls, there's going to be people coming after them with the rule of law. So uh, all of the people who've been involved in the torture and the imprisonments and the quelling of protests and uh, the, the, the kangaroo courts and all of the people who've been involved in that kind of stuff, well, uh, that's a lot of people. And if the government falls, uh, if the existing government falls, then a freer government comes in, such as uh, we can put it that way then these people are going to face some consequences for their actions. Uh, People who've been tortured for 30 or 40 years uh, have uh, pretty good memories. And there are a lot of people out there who want someone to pay for the death or the torture or the mutilation of their son, their daughter, their aunt, their uncle, their mother, their father, their brother, their sister, their cousins, probably up until the eighth level. So – the idea that this is sort of pro Mubarak or anti Mubarak means that it's just kind of an opinion. Well, I like the guy, but I don't like the guy, so let's break each other's heads open. No, it's ridiculous. It's much more fundamental and powerful than that. But you won't see that stuff reported much, of course, in the mainstream media, because they're about turning everything into a red shirt yellow shirt football game, rather than looking at the moral realities of what is occurring. So I just wanted to mention that to start with. uh, Let's get on with the Freedom Aid Radio Sunday show, which is, uh, for those listening to this later, 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, every single Sunday. It's our church, brothers and sisters. And you can join it uh, at fdrurl.com forward slash chat. We have a streamer. Uh, We have... um, uh, oiled goats we have bumper cars we have philosophical chit chit chattels everything your heart can desire goes on for two hours you're welcome to come in and call listen type questions in the chat room speak to the big chatty forehead himself that would be me and uh, I hope that I'll see you one of these Sundays it is a, absolutely a highlight of my week to speak to such brilliant listeners with that having been said let's turn it over to the brains of the outfit you right sitting right there speak now or uh, well I guess just call the next week if you don't want to <laughs> thanks so much
1: I've got a quick question. Go for it. I don't know. Can you hear me? I'm not quite sure. I'm on a laptop mic.
0: It's, uh, it's pretty good, actually.
1: Okay, cool. Um, so I had a question about Miko uh, system stuff. Um, I'm not sure. Do you do that on Sunday shows?
0: I do whatever you want to talk about. And just for those who don't know, <laughs> uh, Miko is something that I've shared with listeners. It's something that... I found to be very powerful in my own therapy, which was uh, the idea that we are not a single identity in terms of self-knowledge, in terms of how our minds work, but we are a multiplicity of of identities. So, uh, if you think about it, um, you can probably imitate quite well a whole bunch of people in your life, and I've done a whole bunch of role plays with people where this becomes very sometimes chillingly evident. And so. Every personality that we have any significant exposure to uh, leaves an impression within us and, in a sense, a configuration within us, our parents, our teachers, our priests, uh, brothers, or whoever, right? And so because we are a multiplicity of personalities, uh, we have to – Uh, negotiate with ourselves. There's no single tyranny of the identity or the the ego that can dominate all other aspects of ourselves, but we should be in negotiations with at least the more healthy aspects of our personalities. And that is uh, something that I have found to be incredibly useful. And I did an interview with Dr. Richard Schwartz, who has something called Family Systems Therapy, uh, which I didn't know about until... I think about a year ago, but uh, he's he's the guy to go to for more uh, information about this. So that's you know, in terms of the ecosystem, uh, that's just the very very brief overview for people who are just joining us.
1: So yeah, my question was concerning the negotiation aspect with uh, specifically the voices that um, are not there to help you. To put it lightly, <laughs> that are <laughs> condemning. Did you say
0: this be- was a quick question? Anything? <laughs> <Go on. laughs>
1: Well, the voices you know, that are condemning or mean or criticizing or anything like that, it's just – I find it um, contradictory that if these are internalized voices of abusers that have been in our past, why it is that we would negotiate with them when they're inside of our heads, but we wouldn't negotiate with them. We would you know, defoo or leave if they were outside of our heads.
0: Well, the first, the first reality, of course, is that you, you cannot separate from an internal voice. I mean, there's no pill, there's no uh, nail gun, there's no uh, giant uh, unabusing magnet that we can roll over our foreheads that is going to allow us to eliminate an inner critical voice. So at least, and it's a great question. Um, my approach has been to negotiate as much as possible. And that doesn't mean just sort of sit there and bat things back and forth, right? So when an inner comes at me, what I do is uh, uh, I roll with that criticism, right? So an inner critic comes at me and says, you're doing X really wrong, right? It's like, okay, well, is this motivating or not? Is this going to encourage me or not? In other words, if you want to be – if you want to criticize me for doing things wrong, the first thing you have to be good at is criticizing, right? And if you're just being abusive, then you're not even being good at criticizing, which gives you no right whatsoever to, uh, to criticize me. Now, I have – in my own workings with my ecosystem, this has had two results for me. The first is it, it's, it pushes the inner bully back and says, well, wait, yeah, I guess I can't use this heavy-handed thing. And we, we can try and work together uh, in, in terms of, hey, you know, inner critics have some good things to say. They have some helpful things to say. They generally go at it all wrong. Right too heavy too heavy handed and this comes out of a fear of not being listened to people who are terrified that they're never going to be listened to either don't say anything or yell right they don't speak reasonably right. because that's that's unnerving to people and so I, I, there are inner critics within me that I can work with that I can uh, I can negotiate with and those have been very helpful to enroll in my life because if I just get rid of all of the inner critics then I, I create the grave danger or grave possibility of getting rid of self-criticism. And getting rid of self-criticism is not good, <laughs> right? That's really not a good thing. Getting, negotiating with self-abusers and turning them into critics is very helpful. But uh, you don't want to sort of, in a sense, throw the baby out with the bathwater. So there's some aspects of my own inner critics that I can uh, I can work with. There's one that I can't. And maybe this is more along the lines of what of what you're talking about.
1: Um, yeah, actually I have I have one actually I'm not sure if it's one or two. It's hard to differentiate sometimes, but I definitely have at least one that is just relentlessly negative, relentlessly trying to keep me down. And it's it's frustrating because I, I you know I, I really like <laughs> this is gonna sound weird. I like talking to myself. I like seeing what kind of ideas and uh and 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 advice can come out of that, but there's just these this one voice that's like always negative and always destructive, and kind of revels in that whenever I try to negotiate um, with him, and I'm pretty sure it's my mom. Um, it's just uh yeah, so
0: do you and um, I don't want to make this about me, but but uh, can I just share with you because this is this is very recent for me, uh, but can I share with you an experience I had with the system? I think it's along the lines, and you can tell me if it fits with what you're talking sure. about? yeah so um, uh, this this woman uh, this is in the real world, not in the ecosystem world. Uh, a woman pinged me and, and, and told me a, a, a really disturbing story and I get these sort of pings every now and then from people who are you know pretty pretty nutty. She told me a very disturbing story and uh, uh, it was – I mean it just struck me as completely false what she was saying. But that's a trap, right? So if somebody tells you some disturbing story that just is false, then if you say, well, that's just not true, then, you know, you're, that just invites rage and so on. But if you get sucked in, then you get into this world of impossibility and it's just really bad or whatever, right? So I was sort of thinking uh, uh, about this because I, then I dreamt about my mom that, that night. And so I thought, geez, you know – Uh, Mr. Lecturehead about everyone else to negotiate with their inner inner selves, when was the last time you sat down for an ecosystem conversation with your mom? And it's been a while. And uh, I do like to practice (laughs) what I preach when I remember to do it. So what I did was I sat down and I had an ecosystem conversation with my mom. And uh, uh, I won't give you any of the particular details because they're not too important. But what came out of it was my mom said, "Uh, Steph, if you want to understand what What shaped me? You have to understand that I had to eat another child in the war in order to survive, and I mean that was just horrifying, chilling. You know, now is it true or not? Who knows? I mean, if it were true, like if I found that out about my mom, right—that that that she because she was in the Second World War in Germany, and it was just monstrous, and starvation was epidemic, and so she—I had to eat another child in order to survive. Well, that would you know what would that do in terms of my view of my mom if she went through something that absolutely uh, horrifying or that absolutely horrible and then I, but then i thought i thought hold, hold hold on wait a second here this is so disturbing and so horrifying that it it there's something that feels really wrong about it and what I felt really wrong about it was that this System conversation was all about my mom having impact on me. There was no questions about me, no curiosity about me. It was just a mental vomit of an implausible but possible though completely almost ultimately disturbing interaction or story about her, about her history. And so I sort of sat and thought about it and I traced it back. It's like, oh, yeah, so I had this conversation with this crazy woman online that led to a dream about my mom, invited my mom back in for an ecosystem conversation, and she was the same as she was when I was five. And she was the same as I was when I was 10 and 20 and 30 and 40 and so on. And what I realized was that I don't think that I can find any productive way to have – a ecosystem negotiation with somebody that destructive, because just as when I was a kid, it's horrifying stories that elicit a kind of sick sympathy, but it's all about her, and there's it's a bottomless hole, and there was and I haven't had one since, um, and I don't know that I can. Uh, so, uh, there, to me, there are some limitations uh, to to what is possible. Within the MECO system. I'm not saying that's a final decision. Lord knows it's a work in progress uh, as any of these sorts of ideas are. But that's, uh, that was sort of my experience and I have just not found uh, a way to have productive or reconciliatory or healing MECO conversations with my mom. Does that make any sense at all?
1: that that does and i definitely sympathize with that i had a I had a very abusive mom though not as abusive as um, as yours and uh she she pops up every now and then and and um especially when it has to do when some specific interaction with a woman occurs um i get all kinds of negative self talk um it's frustrating but uh i think i think i am sort of on the cusp of of a conclusion that goes something along the line of "there's no negotiation possible. It's it's um, it's going to have to be uh, just a, a, a sort of fierce kind of self-love that's going to get me through this. And it's not. I mean, it's not a, you know, a terrible trial. It's just kind of an annoyance every now and then. It's, but but I think it's. Um, I think it. I'm not sure if this is the right way to put it, but I just have to just be that much bigger rather than trying to continuously negotiate with a voice who just doesn't care you know
0: right 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 no and I I think that is I, I, I really want to to. Uh, trying to think this is, this is a big topic that I'm still working out in terms of a podcast series on but you know this is in relation to the recent uh, conversations about nonviolent communication and this idea that there's nobody's bad they're just misunderstood and they just have needs that aren't fulfilled and so on I love that idea. I, I really I, – that that idea is so, so tempting to me. And because it's so tempting to me, I have to be really, really careful about it. I have to be really, really careful. Whatever tempts us is dangerous. And uh, I don't mean we have to be aesthetics or constantly on guard. But when we have an idea that, that our hearts rush towards with the sweet stampede of relief, I have to be really careful because the confirmation bias can be very, very strong. And – um I remember. I, th- I think it was one of the guys I was talking to later. Told me about how you know Rosenberg has a story about these tribes in Africa that he got to talk to each other instead of killing each other, and they said, "Boy, you know, if only we'd know how to talk to each other, we wouldn't have to kill each other." And he considered this a big breakthrough. And you know, as soon as he left, they went back to killing each other again. And he has then revised. <laughs> he has revised his opinion, as far as I understand it, to say something along the lines of, "Well, yeah, it's a multi generational change because you can." Surprise people into better behavior in the short run, in the same way that you can pay a smoker a million dollars to not smoke today. But that's not the same as dealing with the core issues and the core problems uh, that have brought these behaviors into being. Uh, You can, you know, force compliance or even uh, love quote love compliance into in the short run or change a behavior, uh, but uh, it's not. It's not the case that 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 produces long-term change. Like a series of of benevolent conversations doesn't undo years of brain damage from child abuse. So, right, so right. I would love for it to be true. Uh, I would really love for it to be true. Uh, my experience has been that it is not true, uh, that it is a delicious and delightful fantasy that uh, – allows people to take a fantasy magical responsibility for the quality of their relationships. But um, uh, I have found there's only been one uh, – I mean, I have a tough time doing ecosystem conversations with my dad because I never really knew him. I mean, he was gone before, like I was six months old, but I don't have any memories of him. And I, I mean, I certainly met him afterwards, but uh, not obviously to the same degree as my mom. So there are – uh, yeah, some at least one, you know, completely narcissistic, cold-hearted witch with a capital B in me that I can't negotiate with because it's just traumatic and it's all about her and uh, I can't I can't get that to change. So uh, I'm <laughs> I am declining to have that conversation uh, for the time being and indefinite future
1: you know i uh, just uh one last quick point and then i'll i'll jump off the, the call um while while you were talking I, I just had this uh this epiphany kind of um maybe maybe it is a loving action to to leave maybe uh what they're trying to do by being so belligerent and being so uncompromising is to get you to leave in this kind of like leave me behind i'm not going to make it sort of way
0: well it I wouldn't even say that so much. I mean, not to say that you're wrong. You could be completely right. But my, I, th- I think you're right. I've thought about this a lot as well. This is um, Unfortunately, I'm way behind in my solo cast because, uh, you know, anyway, it doesn't matter. But I think that if somebody can't behave well around you, it is the most humane thing to do to not be around them. Right. Right, So if, uh, you know, if I had some sister who <laughs> – let's talk theoretically. If I had have, have some sister who was just a complete bitch when I was around and couldn't help herself from you know, putting me down and undercutting me and undermining me and, and whatever, then to allow people to treat you badly is of course bad for you. But it is also very bad for them. And uh, I genuinely believe that the people to whom I evoke cruelty – Based on history and being the youngest and all of that and the helpless one and so on, and perhaps more sensitive or whatever. But the people, the people who can't be around me without behaving badly are better people because I'm not around. Because they just can't resist that temptation. You know, and, and we understand this. Cruelty is a drug, right? Cruelty is a drug. And we understand that if you want to quit cocaine, you can't go to cocaine parties. Yeah. Right? If if you and, and so If people around me are addicted to cruelty towards me, then I have to take that cocaine away from them if I care anything about them. or I mean it's a win-win, right, I think. But that's really, really important. That's a
1: good point. That's a really good way of putting it. Thank you. Yeah, it is a drug. It is a drug. And and anger and – or sorry, rage and and hatred, those are all drugs. And that's the drug that my mom gets when I'm around. And to do the loving thing is to – Get rid of the drug, which is me in a sense.
0: Well, it's certainly proximity to you. Uh, you you're not the drug, right? But it's, uh, you are the right. catalyst or the stimulus. Uh, and the other thing, too, is that uh, if, if there is to be a chance for the people who've done us evil in our life to get better, then the first thing we have to do is, by whatever means necessary, prevent them from continuing to do wrong. That's the very, very first thing that has to be done. You know, like you, uh, you come across some guy who's bleeding from some cut to his femoral artery in his thigh. Uh, you don't ask him about his dietary history, right? The first thing you do is put a tourniquet on his leg, right? That, that's the very first thing, to stop the bleeding. Because if that doesn't happen, nothing else matters, right? So the, f- the first thing, if, if we want bad people or people who've done really evil things to have any chance of any kind of peace... The first thing that needs to happen is they have to stop doing bad things. And if they ha- if they, if out of habit, we are the uh, <laughs> the cigarette commercial to a chain smoker who's trying to quit. You know, like uh, <laughs> I remember when I. I didn't find it too hard to quit smoking. I mean I tried a number of times but it was just a matter of therapy and I was never a big smoker. But I remember when I was trying to quit a couple of times just thinking, oh, man, could they not – you know, they have these warnings, you know, that this material is not suitable for minors. It's like, this movie is not suitable for smokers because there are lots of people really enjoying smoking 20-foot-long cigarettes in this movie and you are going to have your fingertips tingle with <laughs> nicotine lust. Uh, I would like to have had those. You know, Like uh, I guess if you're an alcoholic – I don't know, maybe leaving Las Vegas works both ways for you, that it makes drinking look fun and yet seriously not fun. But do we have to stop people from doing bad things. We have to tourniquet the bleeding first and foremost because every time somebody does a bad thing, every time somebody acts in a cruel or or destructive manner, it reinforces that behavior and it creates further guilt, which they then drown out by continuing to act in a destructive and immoral manner. So we have to diminish the amount of guilt that is accumulating in the people who have done bad things. And the only way to do that, if you can't negotiate a cessation to the aggression, the only way to do that is to stop waving your you know, red flag in front of their inner bull. And right. then they have that possibility of achieving some cessation of destructive actions with a diminishment of guilt, which in time should result in the capacity, if not the inevitability, the capacity – for uh being able to deal with this stuff better
1: okay, Cole, thank you so much for your thoughts. I'll jump off the line now thank you thank you
0: oh, you're welcome and uh let me know how it goes if you like that's um very very interesting stuff and i'm you know i'm I'm sorry uh, about um Uh, talking about if this has confused people and uh, if it's any consolation it has confused me as well I do apologize for talking about negotiation everybody that I was negotiating with within myself was open to reason but uh, and it was completely unconscious of this Uh, I hadn't negotiated with my mom in donkey's years and uh, when I did try to it really really didn't work so I I do want to apologize if that's been uh, hurtful or harmful to anybody Uh, it's uh, not out of any uh, I wasn't withholding anything it simply hadn't occurred to me and it hadn't Really, it hadn't come up for me. You know, I hadn't dreamt about my mom. I hadn't really thought about her in a long, 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 long time. So when it did come up, and I tried that, uh, that was my experience. Maybe uh, it's not the final answer, but it certainly is where I am now. I wanted to sort of put that out.
2: So I was hoping that I could uh, uh, ask you about uh, maybe getting some help with. Um, sorry, I'm a little nervous, but uh, so I, I'm. I've been doing therapy. And I've been trying to uh, work through some issues I have with my mom.
0: Uh, is that uh, uh, is that uh, could it work it? You can talk about whatever you like. It's your show, man.
2: Okay, so I was in therapy uh, last Wednesday, and when I was talking about uh, my uh, uh, about my mom, I was telling my therapist that. I get uh, uh, like I was uh, feeling like I had to please her a lot and that I didn't know uh, why that was exactly. But then when I said it to her, I just got like I felt really creepy, but really grossed out. So I was hoping maybe you could help me uh, look into that aspect of it.
0: Uh, yeah certainly and I uh, just wanted to remind you that you know your therapist is the expert and I'm the idiot non-credentialed amateur on the internet but I'm certainly happy to to take a swing at it and see if we can connect. Uh, so you you're uh you said that you felt the need to to please your mom is that right?
2: Uh yeah I've uh she's kind of the person who uh like I always felt was really um emotionally fragile so I was really sensitive to that and wanted to um, like manager emotions, basically.
0: Okay. All right. Can you give me an example that uh, just, I mean, I understand the abstract. I just want to make sure I understand the, the concrete, because, uh, you know, I work better with uh, <laughs> rocks. <laughs> but uh, what, um, can you give me an example of where that may have occurred? And it doesn't have to be specific, just the kind of thing.
2: Um, okay. Uh, uh, well, I don't know if this is exactly the line, but... Uh, uh, my, uh, sister had moved out of the house when I was still living in the house and, uh, my, uh, mother had, um, well, she had started, uh, crying and, uh, um, I'm sorry. I kind of uh, don't feel like uh, I'm answering the question.
0: Uh, could you? No problem. Listen, if the answer came fluidly to you, there'd be no point talking about it. So that's perfectly good. I think you know. I mean, if we're driving over terrain, you know, you can go fast. If you're driving over terrain, you don't know. You should go slow. So uh, I think that's perfectly fine. Do you want to take another run? Do you want to take a minute to, to think about it? Hey, we can edit out the silence. I don't care about that. So, <laughs>
2: um, uh, could you uh, ask the question again?
0: Sure. Well, uh, can you give me a concrete example of when you felt the need to manage your mom's emotions? Um, okay.
2: So uh, there was a, a one time when she came out to visit me, and uh, we were having this uh, a Mother's Day thing. And uh, we had to uh, keep her away from... Uh, going upstairs where people were like putting up streamers and stuff. And uh, so I was staying with her trying to keep her uh, happy. And uh, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, Does that kind of answer the question?
0: It doesn't even come close to answering the question, but that's no problem (laughs) at all. (laughs) And I think you know that, right? I was downstairs with my mom. Does that help? <laughs> um, okay, let me uh, – I'll sort of talk about what uh, what I'm uh, – uh, what I mean if that makes sort of sense. Uh, so uh, my mom used to let's say date a lot and uh, she would go to these dances and she would come home and she would uh, – you know, I would be sort of in my room reading or doing something on the computer and she'd come and she'd sit down and she'd smoke like a chimney and she'd tell me about every – little thing that occurred at the dance. Like, oh, this guy went over here. But then I really thought he was thinking about me because he went to get his drink. But then he gave me a look and he went to talk to some other woman. But that was just so that I'd really notice. And then I, you know, that that, that I would feel jealous. And like everything became this highly, massively complicated soap opera of, I think, pure imagination, but whatever, right? And my mom had this, you know, it was like really desperate. I kind of trapped (laughs) <laughs> I, I hate to say Logeria because at the number of podcasts I have, uh, <laughs> I might be accused of the same thing. But it was uh, – I felt really cornered and uh, trapped. Uh, and I remember actually uh, – I was just talking about this the other day with Christina. I remember a, um, a video game that I used to play on the old Atari 800 called Way Out where you were in this maze. It was like the first 3D game I'd ever played. It was like a really tiny – you just go out through this – try to find your way out through this maze or whatever. And I remember pausing that game when I was trapped in the maze and then sitting there for hour after hour while my mom filled my room with smoke and, and uh, you know gave me all of this completely dissociating, bewildering levels of imaginary detail about these ridiculously complicated and fantastical interactions she'd had with some guy she was interested in or not had with him or whatever. And that was sort of, I'm trapped in this maze. There's no way out at the moment or whatever. And what I felt was that I couldn't say… Mom, I'm, I'm 12, for God's sakes. This is – I'm not interested. It's crazy. I don't want to hear. I don't want to know. I couldn't be honest because I had to manage her. In other words, if I were honest, then what would happen is there would be rage. Rage would come out of it. And so it's better to get the drip, drip of crazy than the full water can into the face of crazy, right? So this was a manageable amount uh, and I just didn't want to put my f- face up to the water can at a crazy and, you know, risk losing an eye or whatever. And so that was an example for me of, of managing my mom through just being passive, you know, roll over, let her talk a- until she runs out of cigarettes or oxygen or time. And uh, and that's manageable. And that to me was an example of managing my mom's emotions uh, rather than being self-expressed. Does that sort of make any sense?
2: Oh yeah, totally. Um, that, that really uh, uh, strikes a chord with um, me and my relationship with my mom. Um, uh, uh, I have to get off the phone, but thank you so much for that. Though, so.
0: You have to get off the phone? What do, you, what do you mean you have to get off the phone? Is your mom there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
3: Okay, uh, no, no No problem, no
0: problem at all. Um, I, uh, I'll talk a little further. You can listen to, to this later, but yeah, you might want to turn off the uh, computer for now. Okay. Yeah so look the um uh, the creepiness is um uh, I think comes out of I don't know right just guessing but uh, the the creepiness comes out of the one sidedness of it the uh, anything which is non upb but is enforced or inflicted is creepy because it's a fundamental manipulation right so um i my mom was allowed to be bored with me, right? So if I was showing her something I did on the computer, she was allowed to say, I don't, you know, I'm not that interested or I'm bored or I would just wander off or, or get, in, get exasperated and impatient to the point where I knew that if I continued to show her whatever I programmed or whatever I did, that uh, she would get upset. And so she, she, she was allowed to be bored, but I wasn't allowed to be bored. Uh, I wasn't allowed to express boredom. Uh, that kind of stuff is, uh, uh, is always creepy because it's a one-sided a set of rules, right? So uh, only for them, never for you. Only for you, never for them, and uh, that is um, that is really important. And what happens is when you confront people about this, right? So if you say, "Well, I find your boredom rude." Then I say – then they will say to you, well, I find you boring me rude or what? I'm not allowed to be honest about being bored. I'm, I'm not supposed to be self-expressed. I just have to conform to whatever you want, right? So you'll get those set of rules inflicted upon you wherein expressing your boredom is, is being honest, And boring somebody is rude, right? So that's that set of moral rules. Aha! But when you flip it around, flip it around, flip it around now, what happens is when you're bored by what they're doing and you say, I'm bored, I don't want to do this anymore, then you're being not supportive. You're not caring about them. uh, That you're being rude for being bored, right? And this is, I mean, it's almost but not quite hard to blame people for this because this is just what what people do. Whatever is happening in the moment – Whatever they're experiencing in the moment, they will extrapolate to a moral rule in order to have weight and power in the moment, right? So uh, if, if I was doing something to bored my mom, then it was the rule of honesty about being bored that was the rule, and that's what should happen, right? But if I was bored by something my mom was doing, then I should really try to be supportive and be there for her, and that's the right thing to do. And not be rude and just walk off because I didn't happen to like things in the moment. Uh, and that's something that you, uh, you will hear. You will hear this a lot with people who are verbally abusive, right? So they'll be verbally abusive and you will uh, say, uh, I don't want to submit to this. Uh, I'm not going to be part of this conversation. And then what they say is, oh, why don't you just run away like you always do? You can't handle a challenge. You just run away cowardly, right? In, in other words, not submitting to abuse is is cowardly. And this is just what people do. And and once you see it, you you really won't be able to see anything else in the way that people interact with and communicate. Look at any drama, look at any drama where people are having a fight uh, on TV or in movies or whatever. All you'll see is them attempting to hook their immediate emotional preference into some sort of universal ideal in order to crush and bully the other person. Because that's what morals were invented for. It was a massive club to swing over the sensitive in order to get them to conform to the brute wishes of the brutal. And um, so, uh, you know, to this gentleman who couldn't listen anymore because I guess his mom didn't want him to, uh, I think it's really, really important to look for this principle. And the moment that you try and universalize this principle, and this is the interesting too, right? So if you point out the contradiction in this principle, right, so – uh, if my mom my mom can express boredom because it's it's honest, I can't express boredom because I'm not being supportive. The moment that you point out the contradiction, then you're being nitpicky, right? <laughs> then you're just lawyering someone. You're just you know you're just uh, being difficult for the sake of being difficult. You just you know and, and so even then looking for consistency. So consistency is used to shore up the moral position. But then the moment you look for genuine consistency between moments, you're being called nitpicky and all these. Right? So this is just what people do. Uh, they just use these absolutes to gain power and control, and it's really, really, really important to to see this.
4: Um, I actually had a question.
0: Uh, who's here. this? Mariah. Oh hey, how's it going?
4: Uh, good. I am actually very new to your site. I was introduced to it by a friend who you've spoken to before, and,
0: and is that person still I'm a friend? Uh, okay, good. good uh, yes. Good. Well, <laughs> No, he is. That red bastard, and now I got this philosophy in my head, and I can't sleep. And (laughs) oh, I'm,
4: I'm loving it. It's been a long time since I've been able to delve into some of this stuff. Um, oh gosh, where to start? I grew up in an abusive home. My father was an alcoholic, um, very abusive. Beat us Uh,
0: So, so, alcoholism is a is a is a
4: completely horrifying
0: plague. Yeah, yeah, no, I just wanted to point out, alcoholism is a peculiarly horrifying situation to go through, uh, and I just really wanted to express my sympathy, but uh, please go on.
3: Yeah.
4: Um, so, grew up in home with that. Uh, he used to take airplane propellers and beat us with those because they go through the air better, uh, belts, etc. Um,
0: Sorry, I, I, mean, I, I don't mean to, to gloss yeah. over your agony. What the fuck? Airplane propellers?
4: Yeah, um, he's to
0: build. You mean that? Okay, so oh, let me just make sure I understand things. this, right? So they're off the propeller. It's just, it's just the blade itself, right? And you can swing it because it's designed to slice through the air, so you can swing it more effectively. Yes. So w- you would be hit. Sorry, you'd be hit with the flat or the edge end.
4: Um, either depending on how it went through the air at the time. Sweet
0: mother of God, that is just unholy. I mean, that is savage. That is like, br- that's like life-threatening assault. Yeah. Anyway, uh, <laughs> just, go on, go on. Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. I just want to make sure I understood because that's just like, wow. Anyway, go on.
4: Yeah. Um, so, grew up in that home, um, finally escaped from it, um, have been on my own for a while. My brother started abusing me just this past year. Um, even at Christmas time, he gave me a bloody lip and um, my husband now has, um, he's in the army and things were great right before we got married. Uh, we got married and shortly after he started getting more physical with me, um, to the point where like he threw me into a coffee table and, um, it, I stopped breathing for a while and he wouldn't call the ambulance because he was sorry does this mean because you
0: you took you got a blow to the head and you were unconscious is that
4: um it was something with like my spine the way i hit it i'm it's kind of a blur but i just remember not being able to breathe very well Uh, and it was a very very scary time um and he has been in iraq now for the past year um, right before we left, things had kind of calmed down as far as physically. But during this entire year, he's been getting very manipulative, very controlling, has to know exactly what I'm doing every second of every day. Um, like this hour, I had to tell him that I was, I'm taking a bath or something because I need to cover what I'm doing at every second um, he watches every penny that comes in and out, and um, he started removing a lot of my friends. Uh, yes, I, I do need some help. Um, but I'm reaching a point now in my life where uh, I don't want to put up with it anymore. I come from a religious home. Um, <laughs> so divorce no, That doesn't is surprise me,
0: but uh, sorry, go on.
4: Yeah, divorce has always been very taboo um, to me and, well, not to me so much, but to my family. And um, I'm also getting to the point now where I'm wondering, am I just fun to abuse because I seem to attract this or, um, because I'm a genuinely a good person. I believe the best in everyone and maybe that's part of where I'm running into this. It's just because I see the good in everyone. Right.
0: Um, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the answer is I don't know because I'm not you, but I can tell you a few of the thoughts that I have about uh, what, what you're saying and you can see if it makes any sense. Uh, I mean, the, I go into this in more detail. I got, a, I got a free book on my website called Real-Time Relationships and you can do a search in there for uh, Simon the Boxer. It's just a metaphor. I'll just go over it very briefly here. And maybe it will be of some use to you. It's my belief that when we are terrorized as children, we are fundamentally terrorized because we have no control over the situation. You obviously desperately did not want to be hit with belts and propellers. I mean, clearly, and and that was completely terrifying because you don't know – when it's going to stop. You don't know if you're going to survive. You don't know if you're going to catch some god-awful belt buckle in the eye uh, or something, right? You, You don't know where. So it's completely overwhelming. You have no control over the situation. And so what we tend to do is we tend to try to gain control over our feelings, over our emotions. I can't control being abused. I can control the emotions that come up in me about the abuse. That's the only thing that I can control is my own emotional reaction. Now all human beings need some sense of control. If you have no sense of control, I think we just lie down and die in some very significant way, if not physical, at least spiritual. If this theory has any truth, I think it does. I really think it does. It's not proven, I understand. This is just my theory. If this theory has any kind of validity, then it does explain why you're in this relationship because if the only sense of control that you have is control over your reactions to abuse, then you need an abuser in order to experience those feelings of control over being abused I know that's kind of convoluted. I don't want to over-explain it, but I don't want to under it. Does that make any sense at all? Yes. So if you had some nice guy, if you, I mean some – and there are nice guys out there and you should not settle. Obviously, I don't even need to tell you. You should not settle for anything like this. I mean not, not even in a million miles like this. There's no There's no room for raised voices in relationships, let alone – Hittings, pushings, coffee tables, unconscious, not breathing. This is, uh, this, is, this is no place. This is no place in a relationship in any way, shape, or form. But if you were with some nice guy, it is my belief that it would produce a lot of anxiety in you. Because you wouldn't have those feelings of terror and fear and rage to manage. And so you wouldn't have any sense of control. It's like if I become addicted to recovering, wobbling from someone pushing me over. I mean just take a silly example, right? So I'm standing in a room and if somebody pushes me so I almost fall over and then I have to sort of go back up. If I become addicted to that, the just standing still, isn't going to do anything for me. I'm going to need someone to keep pushing me over so that I can wobble back up. And so becoming – I use the term addicted very colloquially, right? It's just a, right? But becoming addicted to managing feelings of fear and rage and humiliation and, uh, and all of that, if that's what we're used to, if that's what the grooves are in our brain, if that's where the train tracks are in our brain, then in a kind of very real way, we can't live without those feelings. We can't live without those feelings because that's what we need to manage. That's all we know how to control. That's all we know how to process. And so we need people in our lives to provoke those feelings so that we can once again do all that we know how to do, which is to control and manage and deal with those feelings. Without those feelings, we're lost. We're disoriented. Again, so tell me if I'm if I'm way off the mark. Like, sorry, first of all, I mean this could be complete yeah. bullshit. I just want to caution you about that. This is just my uh, feelings, my thoughts, my experience. I mean I've obviously talked with a lot of people about these kinds of issues and so I'm not – I'm not new to the block, but certainly don't take what I'm saying as any kind of truth. Uh, any the, because the, the reality is is your experience and your truth, not you know my my theories at a distance. I, I really want to point that out. That don't don't say oh well this guy on the internet said it, therefore it must be true because <laughs> Lord knows lots of people say lots of stuff on the internet. I just really wanted to to remind you. But does that give you any sense about why you may have gone from this abusive dad to this abusive husband?
4: Um, and no worries on the just taking your, your word for what it is. I have always questioned everyone um, all my Oh, beliefs. good, good. So, okay.
0: <laughs> I say, I I say that not so much for you, but for <laughs> anyone else who might listen to this. I, mean, I don't mean to insult your in- intelligence oh, no, or independence. No. I just wanted to point that out.
4: A lot of people, once they find somebody that they agree with on a few levels, they think then this person, you know, knows everything. But I'm not one of those. I do agree with you on many levels, and some I do question. But, Good. Well, um, that's
0: the same. I have the same relationship with myself, so that's it's quite reasonable. <laughs> oh, okay. So, okay. So, so, but tell me what you think about this idea that that managing these feelings may be uh, very important to you at some level, and this is why you may be trapped in this cycle.
4: Um. I'm not sure if that's exactly how I would look at it either because I've had really good relationships in my past. Um, I have some amazing good friends who, you know, there's a lot of good influences in my life and I appreciate them and I love them immensely. Um, So I don't think it's that I'm drawn to it or addicted to it or all right
0: let me uh like let me uh, sorry to interrupt let, uh, sorry to interrupt let me just uh let me just ask a skeptical question here mm-hmm. uh maybe you're right maybe wrong uh what, what did, let's call your your husband uh, bob right okay so uh w- w- what did your friends think of bob before you got married
4: they everyone liked him um he played yeah. the role very well
0: uh you know what uh i know what you're saying uh, but i I'm, I'm telling you once once you get why you 're with him, you will see these guys a mile off that they 're not that hard to okay let me let me ask you this what was bob 's childhood like
4: um, His father left when he was very young um, kind of just abandoned them, which should have been a red flag, but I also grew up in an abusive home, but I was able to. I think it made me a better person in the long run, and I dealt with those things.
0: Um, no, again, I have to give you the skeptical feedback, right? And you, you, <laughs> you pausing, you know what I'm going to say, right? Because yeah. you're, you're pausing even while you're saying it, right? So you're having trouble building this bridge yourself, right?
4: Well, because of the circumstance I'm in now, it doesn't look like I dealt with my past because I'm I walked right into a future that. Is parallel to my past on a different level,
0: right? So, and again, this is—I'm not—I'm not criticizing in any way, shape, or form. I'm just pointing out that the adjectives don't match the actions, right? So, so what else? I mean, look, just just having a dad who wasn't around does not, in my mind, at least, is in, uh, enough of an ingredient to produce an abuser. So, what else happened in Bob's past?
4: Um, Was he himself? Father- uh, sorry, go ahead. What were you going to ask?
0: No, no, you go ahead. I don't want to – you're the one who should be talking (laughs) here, not me. All
4: right. His father walked out on him when he was very young, started a new family, completely ignored him, and then died a few years later. Um, And then his mother was very – well, she's very depressed, um, always was just scraping by. um, he was kind of her world, and because of it, she put a lot of pressures on him. Uh huh. Um, so that's like the gist of his childhood.
0: Was he, um, uh, was he, um, uh he physically was aggressed jock. against? Was he physically aggressed against as a child?
4: Um, no. Not even no, spanked? Not at. Not as far as I know. I don't think his mother ever really believed in that. Um, she she wasn't around very much. He kind of raised himself.
0: Does he have siblings? No. Right. Um, what's his circle of friends like?
4: Um, a lot of military and jocks and very just guy guys, like into sports and you know, get together, have a few beers, watch the game type of stuff.
0: And what was the first thing that you remember of significance that he said to you when you met?
4: I'm not not sure off the top of my head right now.
0: No 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 problem. Been so
4: clouded um with the past week and just the anxiety of him returning soon and trying to do what's best for me.
0: Um, right. Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, um again, like I I know I have to keep repeating this, but it's worth repeating. I'm certainly no expert. I think that um Most people who are physically abusive were themselves physically abused. And that's not to say that everybody who's physically abused becomes physically abusive. That's a different equation. But uh, just about everyone that I've ever heard of or read about who is physically abusive were themselves physically uh, abused. And that is – that's an important conversation to have. Um, Again, no one can tell you what you can do, what you should do. Nobody can tell you what you should do uh, as far as your marriage goes. But uh, I will say – that I don't think that you have the right to subject yourself to this kind of abuse, right? So, I mean, you, you're just the brain. You have a whole body. You have a reproductive system. You have future children that you might have, uh, you know, one, one wrong blow to the stomach, and you could be infertile, right, which is, is stripping from your future self the right to have children. I don't think you have the right to strip from your future self the right to have children. I don't think that you have the right to inflict on your inner child a repetition of the abuse that your inner child and you, of course, have already occurred. I don't think you have that right. I know that's just a weird way of putting it, but that, I mean, I feel very strongly about that, that um, you don't have the right to subject yourself to this kind of abuse. Um, you certainly should not receive abuse in any of your relationships. This should be not something that you tolerate, not something that happens once a month or once a year or once a decade. This should not be something that you accept in your relationships in any way, shape or form. If your husband uh, aggressed against you in this kind of way and did not go to get professional help, because right? there are ways of dealing. There's anger management classes. There's ways of dealing with these kinds of issues um, that will do a lot to prevent recurrence. And there's things that you can do right? that, that um, will prevent – will be, will, will be uh, most likely to prevent recurrence. I can, give you, I can give you my advice and all I can do is give you my advice and you can obviously do whatever you want. But my advice would be um, – to get yourself into therapy, not tomorrow, but today. You know, Look people up on the yellow pages, look people up online who are close to you and find uh, – I'm a big fan of cognitive-based therapy, uh, CBT it's called. Oh, sorry, cognitive behavioral therapy. And um, get yourself into, into therapy. My personal belief is that it is not safe – for you to be uh, in, in the house with your husband, especially because he's coming back from war, right? So if he had anger issues before, if he had self-control issues and impulse control issues before, okay. I don't think they get better in a war zone. In fact, oh, they're – Oh, but right. he
4: seems to think they do. <laughs> that's all he said uh, all and that, well, Look, that's,
0: that's another reason why I would not exactly be a big fan of, of the safety of the situation. If he thinks, well, the cure for being angry is war, I think that he's not in the right ballpark. And if he was angry before he went to war or if he had rage problems before he went to war, going to war doesn't help those things. In fact, I strongly believe that they make them worse. And then coming back to a civilian environment and all of those kinds of adjustments – Furthermore, is going to be – right. so rage tends to increase under stress and war is very stressful and coming back and adjusting to civilian life is very stressful. And I tell you, I tell you, my lady, without significant intervention, without significant commitment to change, behavior repeats and repeats and repeats and repeats. Without significant professional intervention and a significant commitment to change – By far the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. And it tends to get worse. Right? So if your husband were 500 pounds and he denied that he was overweight and said you were the one with the problem, what likelihood would there be that he would lose weight? None. Yeah. There would be none. There would be none. And so if your husband does not think that he has a problem with anger, or thinks that war has is, is made it better, or is simply making promises to change without getting to the root causes of this kind of abuse, the uh, it, it is a near mathematical certainty that it is going to continue and it is going to escalate.
4: And something I have done in my free time since I've been on your site... Um, I have, you know, I made a list of the good qualities in myself because that's something he's been stripping of me. I have um, called the national hotline. I've got in touch with uh, my state one. I have, um, you know, I've already been to two sessions of counseling with someone there. The thing I'm struggling with most at this point is just accepting that this is, I know this is what I I need to do for myself, but accepting it is why I've been, I just, I need, I don't know, I just need to understand that I am right in what I'm doing.
0: Well, tell me what, um, what accepting it means, uh, because I, I sense a lot of heartbreak in your voice and I, look. I completely sympathize and understand that. Um, but but tell me what uh, where where the sadness is because I mean that's what I get or maybe I'm wrong but that's what I I think I can hear in you.
4: Um, the sadness isn't so much in losing him, as in as it is in I had made a vow to him.
0: Right. And that's
4: on. not something I take lightly.
0: Right. Right. What part of the vow is the hardest for you to let go of? Or is it the whole thing?
4: For better or for worse.
0: Right. Right. Go on. Um. What does it mean? So if you say, okay, in a sense, I'm bailing when it gets to worse, does that mean, what does that say about you in your mind? About your integrity and your commitment and your honor?
4: It feels like I can't keep my word, and I've I've always been a person of my word. Right. And that's something I love about myself, but at the same time, I cannot stand there and let him destroy everything I am. No. Because of my word.
0: Right. Right. I think I see a key to the door that gets you out of this paralysis. I'll tell you if you like. I'd love it. Okay. Look, first of all, I sympathize, sympathize, sympathize. I completely respect your desire to keep your word. I completely respect your honor and your integrity. I think that's magnificent. I think that is an incredibly honorable and beautiful thing. But that's not what for better or for worse means. For better or for worse in a marriage means stuff that's coming from outside the marriage, right? So for better or for worse means I'm not going to leave you if you stub your toe. I'm not going to leave you if you break your leg. I'm not going to leave you if you get sick. I'm not going to leave you if you're grumpy, right? I'm not going to leave you if you get depressed when your mom dies, Because that is all stuff that is coming from outside the relationship, right? I'm not going to leave you if you get fired or if you get laid off, right? I'm not going to leave you if you try to get work and you're unemployed for a while. That's what for better or for worse means, right? It means we're on this journey together and there's going to be storms and there's going to be lightning and there's going to be beautiful sunny days of calm sailing and we are going to be on this boat together, weathering the storms for better or for worse, right? But if you take a fucking cherry bomb and blow a hole in the bottom of the boat, that's a little different. If you start steering both of us towards rocks and hit the motor to boot and set fire to the boat, that's a little different. For better or for worse is us getting through the storms of life together as a team in love, arm in arm heart to heart, supporting each other as best friends in an uncertain and unpredictable and sometimes dangerous world. That is what, for better or for worse, means. Not if you knock me out by pushing me into a coffee table. That is not you both facing the world together, united as friends, as lovers, as companions, as husband and wife. That is him turning on you. That is not something coming from outside the marriage. That for better or for worse is us facing the world, not you attacking me. Let me give you another example. And it's a ridiculous one, but I'll give it anyway. (laughs) So uh, I'm on eBay and I'm going to sell you an iPhone. And you say, okay, you send me the iPhone and I'll send you 500 bucks or whatever, right? I don't know how much an iPhone goes for, right? And I send you... And and you say, well, I I honor my contracts. So you send me this and I will pay you because that's our contract. And then I ship you a box of (laughs) poo-poo. I say this because I've been watching Shaun the Sheep with my daughter and the pigs give them a box of poo-poo instead of apples and she's very excited by that. So this is what's coming to my mind. I'm sorry the metaphors are very childish but that's where where my imagination is these days. Now, are you going to say if I ship you a box of prime-grade caca – are you going to sit there and say, "Well, I got to send him five hundred bucks because I'm I'm a woman of my word"?
4: No, that's that's an injustice. That's there's no
0: right, right. Did you make a vow to love each other?
4: Yes, to love to each other. E- to honor each to honor each other. Yes.
0: Is he keeping his vow? No. No. Do not have higher moral standards than those around you. That is a recipe for exploitation. Do not have higher moral values than those around you. Don't send 500 bucks to a guy who ships you a box of shit. Because that just means you're going to get exploited. Right? Treat people the best you can when you meet them. And after that, treat them the way they treat you. And... Well, look, it's, it's, it's a healthy way to do things. It's a healthy way to do things because there are bad people in the world who will do things to exploit and hurt you because of their own crap and because maybe they're just bad people for reasons that we don't know or maybe you never know, but it doesn't really matter. right? So if somebody ships you <laughs> a box of crap, you don't have to pay them their 500 bucks because they've just broken their contract with you and you cannot keep a contract with someone who's broken their contract with you without being I hate to say it this baldly, a sucker. So forget about your vows to him for now. Though I completely, I want to reiterate, I completely respect your desire to fulfill those vows. And I hope hope to the heavens above that you can do that in your life. But what you need to do is not focus on whether you should pay the 500 bucks, but what the guy actually shipped to you. Focus on his vows, not yours, because it's his vows that are the question, not yours, right?
4: I just needed some reasoning behind everything, and that, that's definitely helped me look at it the way I needed to.
0: Yeah. you Look, you show up for work and the guy is going to pay you at the end of the week. If he doesn't pay you at the end of the week, do you show up the next week and the next week and the next week and say, well, I made a commitment to show up for work? No. If the guy doesn't pay you. You stop going to work if he's not going to pay you, right? And that doesn't mean that you're a quitter. It means that you're sane. And you have standards. Just that again. I hate to use these cross financial metaphors, but we all understand that's what we would do, right? Yes. You have you have the right to be loved, to be cherished, to be honored, to be respected, and to be obeyed. I'll do just about anything my wife says because she has so much trust and credibility with me. Hell, I'll do 90% of what my daughter says because her decisions as a two-year-old are often better than mine. I don't know why. It's just the way it is (laughs) because she's a woman. I don't know. (laughs) But you have have that right. You have that right. And you should settle for nothing less. And every contract we enter into has as high standards for the other person as it does for us. And we should not have higher standards than the other person. We should not hold ourselves to a higher standard than those around us. I know that you hear a lot, oh, take the high road and so on. You know, <laughs> I, I, I think that that is not, it's not healthy. That is not healthy. He needs to treat you right. You need to keep yourself safe. You both need help. And whether that help means that there's a way for the marriage to continue or not, who knows. But you both need help. And fortunately, I'm sure you can get some help through, through his, uh, his coverage. But you both need help. Whether that help is a way of coming to to an understanding of why the marriage can't work or whether there's a way of finding the way for the marriage to work, I mean, who knows? I mean, that's between you and your therapist and you and your husband. But please, please, please don't just cross your fingers and think that, You know, roses are going to fall off cactus plants. Uh, There is no magic in the world. There is no uh, light that fills people up and turns them into different people. There is no Jesus who comes down and turns water into wine and makes more loaves and fishes. Uh, There is a grimly predictable cycle of human behavior that occurs without significant intervention, Uh, almost always with heavy and professional help. Uh, but please, please, please do not cross your fingers. Do not hope for the best. Do not say one more day. Do not put it off. Do not think that something is going to happen that is going to turn around. That's not the way that people work. That's not the way the relationships work. That's not the way that life works. We have to work to become free. We have to work to, to give love. We have to work to earn love. And where you're heading now is a very dangerous place without getting the help that you and, and your husband need. Agreed. All right. Is there anything ridiculously cheery and jokey that I can leave you with?
4: <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> something your your little girl did recently because she's adorable.
0: Oh, my God. Is she ever adorable? I'm um, sure she did something. I'll tell you, what did she do? Oh, I mean, she just does these things that are incredibly cute to me. Uh, she's, she's just learning three-syllable words. And uh, when we play, she likes to play in the dark in, in the study, like in the room where I do the shows, about the red room. And uh, we sometimes can – she's very active, as you know. She's two, right? So she, but sometimes she'll lie there very still. And she just laid there the other day. And there's a little um, a wireless router under my desk. And it has these little blue lights that light up, of course, whenever there's data passing through and uh, she said dada and there's a little um, the one. blue light under the table is flickeringing <laughs> <laughs> oh. i thought flickeringing that is a much better word than flickering much better flickeringing is like i don't know if i'm going to teach her how to speak or if she's just going to liberate me from all forms of traditional syntax but that is just a fantastically better a better thing to do uh she is uh she's really really starting to engage with uh, with other kids we were at the mall the other day and uh she she uh, found this five-year-old girl whose parents were talking to a clerk for like half an hour and uh, she's like girl come play hide and seek <laughs> i'm still trying to tell her that sometimes it's okay to phrase these things <laughs> as a question <laughs> that it might be somewhat more inviting she's still working on that to some degree uh and uh yeah so then uh, um uh, Christina was uh, was shopping for uh, for something, and uh, myself and Isabella and this girl, we played hide and seek in the store for like twenty minutes. And uh, I just I love the way that she brings that uh, fun and engagement. I mean, this girl was pretty sad and moping around because she was bored, and and uh, Isabella just came storming in with this, uh, you know, this great sense of play and energy and fun, and really got this girl. Uh, up and running and squealing with with happiness and all that. And I I love this incandescence that she brings in, in into the world to the degree to which you know she just touches things and they burst into light. That's sort of my experience of her, and uh, I think that's that's just completely delightful. And uh, I hope that that continues. I'm sure that it will. I hope that that continues uh, as uh, as she moves forward in life to just bring that. Uh, that there's this great compressed joyful energy to 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 things that she interacts with and touches. That is. Uh, uh, I mean, that is a, a beautiful, wonderful thing. And uh, I, have, uh, I have high hopes for her, uh, her sense of joy and sharing of joy in the future. So we uh, just, just have to keep that protected and, and uh, help her to, of course, you know, she'll go up to a bunch of kids and she will uh, try to engage them and they'll get really shy and, and some of them will run away and she'll yell, girl, come back. <laughs> Sorry, I don't want to make her sound like some sort of Nazi general or something. It sounds a little harsher, you know, but I, I'm trying I'll to look teach at her, her father. German.
4: No, no.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. I, I need to teach her German so that she can uh, uh, she can match the tone with the language, you know. Uh, but uh, Schweinhund or <laughs> something like that. But yeah, she's uh, she's just uh, she's just a really great and really – uh, and really smart, and uh, just a, a real joy to spend time with. So that's, I guess, that's what I'll leave you with. But uh, I really appreciate you sharing. I appreciate the vulnerability that it took to uh, to talk about this. And uh, I certainly wish you the very best. And uh, I hope that you will uh, uh, avail my ridiculous advice and and uh, uh, get the help that you need to to free yourself from this in one way or another.
4: Certainly, and I have been. Um, I actually have already started reading your real-time relationships have been thoroughly enjoying it so
0: and you you know i mean alice miller nathaniel brandon there's a bunch of other people who it's really really obviously a bunch of other people like i'm first and foremost but i mean these are these are the real experts and i would definitely uh, pursue their stuff but thanks so much for the call i really appreciate it and i don't know if you're in the chat room but i just wanted to to pass along the i guess nearly 100 people in the chat room almost all of whom are uh, are wishing you the very best and big hugs and and uh, best wishes for success and and peace in your life so i just wanted to pass that along as well
4: I'm in chat, and I I actually have been ignoring it this whole time, so I'll scroll back through and respond to some of the people, but thank you.
0: All right. Very, very good. All right. Do we have uh, somebody else on the line, or is it uh, time for more uh, uh, chit-chats from the BCF?
3: Hello, Steph. It's Jeff.
0: Jeff, how are you, my friend?
3: Uh, I'm fine. Yourself?
0: I am. I'm very well. Uh, I'm just. Uh, I'm okay. f- still full of concern for the previous caller, but I will reorient yeah, my yeah. and and focus on you. So uh, go ahead. Okay. Or should we just speak fluently in French so that I can pretend that I understand? But sorry, go on.
3: All oh, right, right. Uh, I was. Well, would you be up to do a dream analysis or?
0: I'm always happy to do those. I find those very, very exciting and challenging. So let's, and I've been trying to get this listener who had a dream about me, where (sighs) curiously enough, I was closed. I don't understand that at all. But um, I'm trying to get him to give me the dream so we can talk about it. I'd love to do a dream with me in it, but that would just blow my mind. (laughs) It's like the cheap podcast version of Inception. But let's, uh, let's, uh, let's hear, uh, first of all, let's hear about what you think may have uh, triggered the dream, like stuff that may have happened the day before or whatever. And then we will um, talk about the dream.
3: Um, the day before, I'm not really sure. I don't have anything special in mind. The dream. In the dream, I I'm visiting my old elementary school, which I did about a month before I had the dream. So maybe that's related. But that's that's the best I can come up with. <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna I wrote. it uh, down do you have
0: some- it? Uh, you have it written down. Written down. Do you mind putting it in the chat window just so I can. Um, Uh, um. Okay, I'll give it a shot. I was visiting my old elementary school. Outside there were three groups of kids talking to each other. They had lost track of time because one girl realized they were supposed to be in class at least 70 minutes ago. I wondered why no one came to warn them. I thought if they were only five minutes late, they wouldn't have to be punished. But they would be if they skipped the whole class like they were about to do, even if it was accidental. After that, I went inside. The school was very different from what I remembered. It was completely repainted in bright colors, yellow, blue, red, orange, etc. In reality, like many schools, mine looks like a prison, gray, black, beige. In the classrooms, there were no desks. Children would sit directly on the floor. I was walking around observing. I started looking for the stairs leading to the basement. That's where the kindergarten is. Then a woman saw me. I didn't recognize her in the dream. But now that I think about it, she looked like my second grade teacher. She asked, who's your boss? I replied, no one. She seemed surprised by it. I added, I'm only visiting. Uh, it won't be long. Is there still a basement here? She replied, yes, but it's only used uh, occasionally. You haven't touched anything, have you? I showed her my hands and said, I've got gloves anyway. I opened a door to a dark blue room. All that was inside were a few children running around, a microwave, and a clock. I looked at the clock. It was five past noon. I thought I needed to eat soon, as if I needed to get back to class at 1.15. I woke up after that. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh. And um, why, um, certainly have no issues with why you want to talk about it, but why do you want to talk about it?
3: Uh, I've started, um, how can I, th- I bought a, a little journal to write my dreams down. And that's the first dream that I wrote down and I was really glad I had. Uh, when I woke up, I was like, oh, I just have to write this down. It's just really, uh, it's really resonated for some reason.
0: Yeah, no, it is a it is a very resonant dream for sure. For sure. Uh, okay, so the first thing that I would do in looking at this dream, and you know, this is not exactly science, but this is the way that I would start at it, is to say what is different between this dream and my experience, right? So if the dream is similar to your experience, then it's usually something in the past you haven't processed. But if the dream is different from what you experienced in the past, particularly if it's better, then it means progress. It means resolution. It means a liberation from, from prison, right? So the thing that, that noticed is the colors, right? It's very bright colors, right? What happened to the kids? Did did they actually go inside or not?
3: Uh like the kids in the outside. Can't remember. If the kids outside, I, I don't think so. I think I just went inside. So when they were talking
0: to each other, did they appear fearful? Uh no, not really. Yeah, I didn't get that sense. So that's really good, right? It means the kids are free in a sense to not go to class. Yeah. <laughs> and they, they don't fear punishment. They're not like, oh, shit, we're going to get detention, we're going to get spanked, we're going to go they call my parents, oh, my God, right? They're like, oh, shit, yeah. we completely lost track of time. Uh, I guess we missed class, right? But there's no, there's no fear, right? Yeah. And, and that's very different from your experience of your childhood, right? Right.
3: But actually, now that you mention it, I... No, 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 no. you
0: can't sp- contradict my theory. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Go on.
3: <laughs> right. I did skip class for a few days in elementary school, and I didn't get fu- punished for it. I just got a warning. Right. So I don't know if that's related. Maybe it
0: is. But. No, it is. Uh, I, I, I basically, I, I remember, uh, because I, my, my house, my home was too chaotic to study and occasionally, like occasionally when I had a test, uh, I, what I would do is I would, pre- I would not go to school and I would spend the day studying and then I would take the test the next time I was in the class because that was the, that was really the only way that I could study because, you know, my mom and my brother would be away during the day. So I would not, I, you know, I pretend to go to school or I would pretend to be sick or whatever. And then I just I'd come home or, or stay home and I'd study and then I'd take the test uh, and I you know didn't feel any guilt about it at the time and I certainly think it was a great strategy. Uh, There's no, it's not fair to compete with kids who get to study at home when I didn't, right? So, uh, so uh, and and I remember they called me up once and they said, uh, you know, why are you home? Oh, I'm not well. Does your mother know you're home? And I thought, are you kidding me? Did my mom actually call the school? I don't think she even knows the number. Like She never went to a parent-teacher thing. I mean she never – she didn't even know. I mean I'd bring paperwork home to fill her. She wouldn't even know what grade I was in. And I just remember being terrified like, oh my god, the worst thing. is mean, terrible and blah, blah, blah. And there was no actual punishment. So I sort of – my experience was sort of similar to yours that uh, there's a lot of threat but there's not quite as much punishment as, as that. So. Yeah, right.
3: Okay, so uh, let's like, get
0: back to your dream. Uh, Sorry, go ahead. Sure, sure. Okay, so um, so they're not afraid. They've broken the rules, and they're not afraid, and there's no punishment, right? Right. So. Why do you want to see the basement? Mm, that's a good question. Uh, At least once a show, I like to ask one good question, so... One. <laughs> right
3: uh well i've thought about it afterwards in the dream i i can i only remember i was looking for the basement in retrospect i thought that was kind of a, a metaphor for the unconscious what's in the basement
0: yeah 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 for sure for sure now um sorry you said uh, your second grade teacher do you have any memories of your second grade teacher that might be relevant to the dream like of your real second grade teacher
3: um, how can i say that i she, <laughs> oh, she wasn't a good teacher that's for sure so she's totally in character in the dream
0: uh But sorry, I don't get any sense of threat from her in the dream. No. Other than when she says, you haven't touched anything, have you? But she doesn't, she's not like, get out of here, or what the hell are you doing here, or get lost, or she's not aggressive or abusive, right?
3: No, but only before I, because I was, (laughs) that's how I felt, I was preemptively uh, addressing these and uh, and saying, No, I'm only visiting, it won't be long, I'll be out, you know, that kind of stuff. I was worried about... Oh, so
0: so you're worried that she's going to uh, be upset with you or attack you, right?
3: Yeah, because um, I knew I wasn't
0: supposed to be here, you know. Ah, yes, but the dream doesn't tell you that. The dream doesn't say that you're not supposed to be there. In fact, the dream tells you, you don't even know where this is. But you know it's not where you were. So your unconscious may be saying that you're bringing more fear to your interactions than is empirically required. Because here you're pre- – like this is saying, look, the kids aren't afraid. It's bright. It's fun. Uh, it's – you know, there's the, – the there are no desks. The kids are sitting on the floor, which is usually associated with like playtime or storytime or stuff that's more fun, Right. And this woman comes to, 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 see, to seize you, and she, there's no indication of threat. There's no indica- in fact, there's every indication that you're in a benevolent place, right? Right. <laughs> but you're like, oh shit, I've got to be defensive, right? Hey, that's true. I didn't think about that. <laughs> Is there any situation in your life at the moment where you are... Where it's possible that you may be experiencing more anxiety or attack or experience of attack than may be empirically there. Hmm. Well, other than this call. No, sorry. Go ahead. This call. Well.
3: <laughs> well, yeah. Well, especially like with the people uh, at FB. Uh, sorry, at FDR. Uh, I'm really ne- nervous to, to talk to them to those people. I have them on Skype and or on the board, on Facebook. I'm always really, really nervous about talking to them even though I know that there's no threat there.
0: Right. Right. Why does she – and I think, that's very, I think that's an important insight and I think the dream helps you get there. Um, Basement, being the unconscious, being depth, being the true self, being whatever, right? Yeah. It's only used – you say it's only used exceptionally, but I think you mean occasionally, right?
3: That's right. That that was just uh, uh, no.
0: How much – look, and this is a question you need to – everybody needs to ask this question every day. You know, how much genuine contact am I getting today? You know, days – you know, we – we're like walking along with a big sack of gold coins on our back, and, and there's a hole in the bottom called time, and every one of our days is dropping out like gold coins behind us into the mud, never to be recovered as we march forward. The sack gets emptier and emptier. So every time a gold coin drops from your sack, how well did I spend it? How well did I spend it? How much connection did I get? How many risks did I take? How much of myself did I put out there? How much of my heart did I wear upon my sleeve in a safe and productive way? How much was I honest? today how much did I connect with people today how much did I get out of my comfort zone today how much of my today was distraction how much of my day was emptiness how much of my day was wasted and look wastage is necessary wastage is important I'm not saying stare into each other's eyes and murmur sweet nothings all day and never watch a TV show I'm not saying anything like that Because there's no right answer to this. There's only knowledge. This this is aesthetics. This is not ethics. There's no right answer. You can spend the whole life, you can spend your whole life hiding from people if you wanted. You can spend your whole life never saying an honest thing to anyone. I'm not saying this is you. But, But you just need to know what you're doing so that it's a choice, not an avoidance. So let's put that question on you. Over the last week, over the last month, over the last year, what percentage of your time has been connecting with people?
3: Mm. Very, very little
0: Right So we have this basement We have this depth, we have this truth But it's only used Very occasionally, right? Yeah I mean And then (laughs) She says, you haven't touched anything, have you? Touched Connection, touch is the connection (laughs) And you say, what do you say? I got gloves I got gloves, <laughs> and you know what glove is? It's love with a G. <laughs> In cold weather, a hand needs a glove. In times like these, a lonely man like me needs love. So, I got gloves. Don't worry. All right, I'm safe. I'm protected. I got gloves. I don't need gloves, cause I'm inside. <laughs> But I'm not going to touch anything when I go to the basement. Don't worry. I'm sanitary. I'm clean. I'm in my bio suit of isolation. No contact will occur. Oh, wow.
3: <laughs> oh, that's great.
0: I mean- Somebody has said, uh, what is, is the microwave important? I bet you it is. Can I tell you why I think it is? always look at the words in a dream. Is it true that, <laughs> I say, Your Honor, is it true? <laughs> is it true that you make little gestures to connect with people but they're not reciprocated or you don't follow through? Like you'll ping them a little and say, how's it going or whatever? Or do you just not contact anyone, ever?
3: Um, I'd say the pings are on occasion, I mean, the Facebook Facebook comments, for example, but that's it, pretty
0: much. Right. So, when you make a little gesture to contact someone, what could we call that? A microwave. A little wave. Oh, God. A little wave. Hi. Is uh, out there? That's brilliant. <laughs> it's, it's, your, it's your brain, man. And, and what else is in the basement, my friend? You got children running around, beautiful. You got a microwave, it's your little hellos, and what else? A clock, which means what? Time's uh, time's running out. Way. You are mortal, you're going to die. <laughs> and every day you spend not connected is a day that it's slightly easier to spend not connected tomorrow. Everything is a habit that accumulates and becomes an identity. Oh,
3: and what's you know when we, when you ask me you know what's real, what happened what before I had the dream? Well, I've been thinking about that a
0: lot, so that pretty much confirms it. <laughs> I. And I'll tell you what the end of the dream is Again, in my opinion So your boss says to you Sorry, the, the teacher says to you, who's your boss And you say, I don't have one, right? Right Right And then when you're down In the basement, which is where you want to go With your gloves on <laughs> Right <laughs> The first thing you, you say to yourself Is, well shit, I gotta get back to class Right? Yeah But the whole dream is set up that you don't have to get back to class because you're not a kid. It's not your school. You didn't recognize her as your teacher. You're an adult. (laughs) You don't even have to be there. Yeah. (laughs) So the dream is telling you you have no boss except you. You are the only bully in your life that's left. You're the only one who's making up these rules now. You're the one who's saying, i got to get back to class. I can't stay down here in the basement. I sure as hell can't take my gloves off and reveal my love. I can't go from a microwave to a macro hug because i got to get back to class. It's like, nope, nope. The dream is telling (laughs) you that is an entirely made-up constraint. That is entirely self-inflicted. There is nothing in the environment that requires that. You're doing that to yourself. Oh, wow. And that's Correct. the liberation that you're being invited to. Yeah. <laughs>
3: Hi, thanks a lot.
0: Hey, I'm glad that was helpful. That's a great dream. And look at that. It didn't even take nine hours. That's, <laughs> that's <laughs> well, yeah, listen. Yeah. Uh, if, uh, if you get a ping from this fine fella, give him a big ping back. That's all I'm saying. And talk. Yeah, talk. Talk, talk. Connect, right. Open up. I mean people are often only here because I've opened up right so let's UPB that motherfucker right that's right yeah. <laughs> UPB that mofo that's got to be my new <laughs> my new mug <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah right
0: oh. all right okay I think we had somebody else who wanted a question just before we end up but uh, thank you so much that was, uh, that was great well, thanks to you Thanks, man. Do love me a good dream food, Dream Fest. <laughs> dream Feast. Mm, yum yum yum. Uh, James, did we have somebody else? I think somebody else is looking unless I missed a question in the chat room.
5: Oh, there was a question a bit back. Um,
0: uh, if anyone on the call wants to speak up, feel free. But uh five yeah, minutes. You got a little bit? Otherwise, I figured a good easy story, uh, interesting, easy parenting story. Hello, Stefan. Hello.
5: Hi. Um, I'm actually pretty new to your uh, your information, I guess you would call it. Um, I actually discovered you through the uh, the Ron Paul movement. Um, I, I came to some logical uh, inconsistencies with libertarianism in general. Um, basically, I discovered... Uh, Murray Rothbard and his book on um, ethics, and I thought if you apply this logic, which I couldn't, I couldn't find any flaws in uh, any major flaws in his logic, um, then even libertarianism, um, you know, constitutionalism and all of that, um, that's really essentially the same, the same problem that um, libertarians have with, uh, you know, with socialism and big government and all of that. Um, so, and someone actually uh, linked me uh, your video, um, I believe it was, Sunset of the State. Um, and that's, that's how I discovered you maybe four or five months ago. So I'm, I'm still kind of working through all of this, uh, all of this new paradigm. And one, um, one argument that I've been coming up against a lot lately for some reason, uh, it's an argu- argument that um, a uh, philosopher named, um, I believe his name is pronounced Proudhon, I uh, came up with called "property is theft," and it's basically this argument that by owning property, you're somehow committing violence against all of society. And usually, when I when I find someone with a dissenting opinion, I can kind of put myself in their shoes and kind of break down where they're coming from and respond from there. But this is one that I just I just can't write, wrap my mind around. So I was wondering if you could kind of um, if you're familiar with this concept. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of, uh, you know, go into some detail about it, um, you know, maybe some some ways to respond to it because, like I said, honestly, it's just such – I mean, I just – it's like if someone were to say, well, the sky is orange. like uh, how do you respond to that, you know what I mean?
0: Right, right. <laughs> Look, I mean it's – I think the first thing to recognize is that you cannot respond philosophically to an assertion, right? very, very important principle to understand. If if somebody says to me property is theft, that is not an argument. That is an assertion.
5: Right.
0: Right. It's it's. I mean, it's equivalent of me saying I am right. Well, that's not an argument. That's just an assertion. And it's you know. Hello. Uh, so so property is theft is is not an argument. And so the first thing that I would do in, in faced with that is I would do a little bit of probing to find out if somebody read that somewhere, th- those three words, and then found them emotionally appealing for some reason, which would have to do with the stuff I've talked about in the Bomb and the Brain series, FDRURL.com forward slash BIB, if there's only one thing you watch, watch that. But um, So I would ask and, and say, well, do you have any knowledge of what Prudhomme was talking about and what context he was coming from and what he actually meant? He didn't mean that private property in a free market is theft. That wasn't his argument. Um, But so I sort of I would ask if somebody knew and if they didn't that's fine I would just get a sense of whether they're talking with any historical knowledge or whether they just like those three words
5: Well, when I ask for a when I ask for a breakdown um, of the logical steps that that led to this conclusion um, It comes down to really um, you know the tragedy of the commons You know there's only so many resources So if you're if you're exerting exclusive control over those resources, then you're limiting them from everyone else So if you're if you're saying, hey, this is mine and I'm going to violently defend it, then you're essentially stealing the possibility of using those resources um, from the rest of society. And like I said to me, um, if what you're saying is that uh, everyone is allowed access to those resources, um, so I'm not allowed to use them, but then I have an equal claim as everyone else has. And I mean, like I said, I just it's just such an out there way of looking at things.
0: Well, no, it's not. It's, it's not out there. This is, this is very commonplace. Um, <clears throat> I like to, you know, I used to have the coma test. I'm evolving that to what I call the VJJ principle. And the VJJ principle is very simple. Does this argument apply to a vagina? I know that sounds silly, but it's actually, it's a very good argument, right? So a woman who doesn't want to have sex with every guy is obviously has a resource called a vagina, which she is exclusively bestowing upon one guy at the exclusion of everyone else. Is that wrong?
5: Right. Uh, Well, I guess they would say that no, it's not moral, but I would say that it is.
0: They would say that it's not moral for a woman to either not have sex with everyone or have sex with only one guy. They'd say that's immoral.
5: Well, if we apply that that logic, um, yeah, I guess so. I think... I think where these arguments come from is people seem to uh, –
0: No, 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 no. Let's, uh, let's not psychologize. Let's stay with the argument at least. We can psychologize if we want in a sec, but let's just stay with the argument, right? Sure. I well, would also say to the person, so while you're having this debate with me, you are, you are a resource obviously because we are not separate from the rest of matter. So at the moment, you are having an exclusive debate with me and not simultaneously debating with everyone else. Is that immoral?
5: Uh, that's a good point. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to throw that out there and see, uh, see what they can You
0: are holding on to your kidney <laughs> when there are lots of people in this damn world who need what you have two of. Sure, some you know, guy absolutely- needs a testicle in Argentina. I'm sure some guy needs a lung in Uruguay. I'm sure some guy needs an eyeball in Paraguay. And I'm sure there's lots of people who need a kidney in New Delhi.
5: I actually made that argument um, because my understanding of the nature of property rights is um, if I own myself and I invest my labor, which means I'm investing essentially my life force into creating something, then essentially I put a part of myself into this product that I've created. So if you're saying I don't have a right to this property, what you're saying is I don't have a right to myself. So, you know, take my hand. I own my hand. If you say that society needs my hands more than I do, than what they're saying is they can take my hands away from me, and uh, no, you know. no, no,
0: no. I see. I'm sorry to be annoying. I wouldn't go that far. What I, don't, don't ever look at the form of someone's uh, at the content of someone's argument first. Always look at the form. And Lord knows, I'm not saying I do this every time, but I always try to remember to right. right. So if somebody says to you, and I've made this argument before, I'll just touch on it briefly here. Somebody says to you, self ownership is invalid." Well, clearly they're exercising exclusive use over their own body. And vocal cords and typing fingers or whatever to make that argument, right? Right. So it's a self-detonating argument because they're exercising exclusive self-ownership to say it's wrong to exercise exclusive self-ownership, right? Right, exactly. And so either uh, as somebody – like that – I tell you, but but be aware of the emotional volatility of that because when you take someone's argument and turn it back to what they're doing – It clarifies things in such a shocking way that they get very upset because people want to waffle back and forth and baffle gab and quote statistics and go to Google and go round and round and make (laughs) – by far the vast majority of people who are interested in ethical issues are interested in avoiding ethical issues. So they don't actually have to make a decision and act on ethics. They want to obscure it. They want to baffle it. They want to make it confusing. They want to make it relative. They want to make it impossible. They want to make it self-contradictory. So that they don't actually have to just do some basic damn ethical things in their life, right? right. And this is as true of libertarians as it is for anyone else. It's as true of anarchists as it is of anyone else, and it's true of atheists, as it is of yeah, anyone else. the response else. I get
5: quite often is, you know, when you when you try to break something down to a simple form, um, you know, logically, um, if it's not something that complies with their current view of the world. The the response I usually get is well you, you just see everything black and white. You know, you're just you're just taking this extreme view and you're just breaking everything down. Life is more complex than that. And Well me, and what
0: I would say no, see what I would say to somebody who said, Steph, you just see things in black and white is like what didn't you just describe me in black and white terms? <laughs> that's true. Right? No, no, seriously, this like forget about the content. It's the form that matters. Right. I mean, there's so many people uh, who, uh, you know, they, they email me or you're, you're, you're just too aggressive and it's all caps with 14 exclamation marks, you know, and it's like, well, if non-aggression is so great, why are you being, you know what I mean? And if somebody says, oh, Steph, you just see things in black and white terms, it's like, well, didn't you just reduce my entire philosophy into I just see things in black and white terms? Aren't you doing exactly what you're criticizing? And if you you can either see that and then say, Oh shit, I guess I did, I'm sorry. Or you can't, in which case you have no credibility with me, right?
5: Right, exactly. There was one other thing um I just wanted to mention real quick, just based on that um uh that caller a couple calls ago. Um I haven't really gotten into your um your more psychological content too much. Um, but I watched your video, I think it was the video on um the tiger mother. And uh I actually, um, I was going through some of my old papers looking for something, and uh, I found um, my mom created for me, um, it was, it's called a baby book, and what it is, you know, it has pictures of when you're born, and it has a journal in there she can write, um, and she actually kept that pretty updated for quite a while, and uh, one thing I noticed, um, I was reading through it, and, you know, at first, it's, you know, you're such a happy kid, and you know, you're so in, into everything and you want to know about everything. And then she talks about getting divorced. And she says, you know, I think it's the right decision for all of us, blah, blah, blah. And after that, she starts writing it. I don't, I don't really remember this. But I'm sorry.
0: About, sorry, I just missed that. You just cut out for a sec. What was the
5: right decision for everyone?
0: Uh, her getting divorced from my father. Was the right and, decision for everyone? Right. For,
5: you know, for the family, at least for me and my brother. Um, which was her main concern, at least the way that she wrote it.
0: And, did and she, how old, sorry, how old were you when, um, when they got divorced? I was maybe three
5: years old, three, four years old, not very old. I mean, obviously, I didn't really understand it at the time. Um, but I noticed that after that event, she started writing about how I was going through periods of depression. I'd get very depressed. Um, and I would get very angry. And I would kind of go into those modes and then I would come out of it and be like I used to be and go into it and come out of it. Um, so I was just wondering, you know, that that kind of struck me because I remember you. Uh, I'm not sure if that was the video, but I remember you talking about the huge impact um, divorce has on children. And I, I never really thought about it um, before then. You know, I've, I've read through that thing quite a few times, but I never really made that connection that right after she writes about getting divorced, she writes about me going in and out of these really dark moods when I was a kid.
0: Right. Yeah. Divorce is catastrophic for children. Um, I I certainly believe that divorce in cases of physical abuse is is beyond essential. Uh, But of course, then children need to get professional help in such situations. Um, It's interesting. So how how does she know that it was the best thing for you and – was it the best of all possible alternatives?
5: Well, um, unfortunately, my mom passed away a couple of years, so I can't really No, but
0: you, 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 know, you've had the, you know what she would okay. have said because you know, we, <laughs> we, we know what people we, – we can have those kinds of conversations even with the dead, right? Right. So if you were to say to your mom, like, well, A, how do you know it was the best of all possible solutions? And B, uh, wouldn't the best of all possible solutions for you and dad to not have the kind of relationship where divorce became the end point? Right. I mean, um, you would have preferred that your parents get along and be happy and be in love, and, but that that would be your exactly. preferred solution, right?
5: Well, like I said, it was so long ago that the idea of my parents being together, I don't really have any memories of them ever being together. Um, the the thing about it that really sticks out in my mind is uh, eventually my mom, uh, she had some psychological issues. and. Uh, her psychologist eventually, um, advised her that she would be better off, um, giving up custody because at the time she had custody of myself and my brother. And so it was kind of, uh, I think it was around the time I was in first grade, uh, you know, all of a sudden, you know, we have to go live with our dad. And I think I always felt like, and I, I still remember the car ride because he moved, you know, a couple hours away. So, uh, I remember that car ride feeling like, you know, uh, he, No matter how much she kind of rationalized it and tried to explain it to us, I always had that feeling that, you know, she was kind of, you know, just didn't want us anymore. Um, But other than that, I don't really have any memories of my parents being together. But whenever she would talk about it, when she would rationalize it, it was, um, you know, she just had issues with my father. You know, he was never around. He was never helping her. And it, it really, most of it was a financial thing. You know, he never really... Helped us out. We were basically living on our own as it was, so she decided to, to get divorced. Um, so her like said, issue
0: with your father was that he was never around, and then right. she gave up custody of you. Right. Exactly. That's a bit circular, isn't
5: it? <laughs> yeah. Well, like I said, she, um, she was diagnosed with uh, manic depressive disorder, and she was uh, for which there's no very, medical evidence, right? Right. And I uh, honestly, looking back. Um, I I don't really remember any evidence of her being manic depressive. I think she just got kind of. I mean, she she definitely had some issues that could have been worked through, um, but I don't think that she was unfit as a parent. Um, at least not enough to justify you know the trauma that would be caused by you know having her give up her children.
0: Did you see your dad uh, between when your parents got divorced? Did you see him very often before going to live with him?
5: Yeah, he um he I mean he's a very caring guy. Um he was always really into me and my brother. And you know, when when there's a you know, a split like that, when custody gets set up, the other parent always gets visitation rights and he, you know, as much as he could see us, he always did. Sometimes, you know, he would he would come by the daycare and pick us up when he when he really shouldn't have um, you know, so he would actually see us more than he was technically supposed to so i definitely had um you know a relationship with my father
0: that's great um do you have any insight as to why your dad ended up with someone like your mom
5: honestly i have no idea they were they're were really kind of night and day uh, my mom was you know kind of the 60s uh Hippie type, you know,
0: flower power, peace and love. Can I, uh, sorry to interrupt, can I ask the obvious? Um, was your mom very pretty?
5: Uh, yeah, uh, you know, from talking to her, it sounded like she, um, you know, she got quite a lot of attention, you know, she never really had a problem, you know, dating guys and, and that sort of thing. Um, she definitely wasn't ugly. Uh, you know, it's kind of kind of hard to say, yeah, my mom was hot, but... <laughs>
0: Well, no, I mean, look, we we can all look at pictures of her moms when they were, like, 20 or 25 and say, you know, would I date that? No, I'm kidding. I mean, no, but, you know, would say, would I hit that? No, but you'd you'd say, like, I mean, is is this a pretty woman, right? I mean, it's not like they suddenly become some alien because they're a mom, right? They had youths and they had, you know, their attractiveness and so on, right? I mean, I don't know the answer. I'm just sort of curious um, uh, the degree to which. Like, because, you know, loving guys, uh, warm guys and all that. Uh, it's not terribly common that they would end up with women like that. I think I think that's a kind of uh, equivalency factor that goes on in relationships. And it's not just my opinion. This is a pretty – like self-esteem att- attracts self-esteem. Like attracts like. That's a pretty well-established principle in psychology as far as I understand it. And so uh, if your mom had these issues, um, it seems almost incomprehensible that your dad wouldn't have at least some level of similar issues somewhere along the line. Is
5: well, your dad still alive?
0: Dad, um, yeah. Yes, he is. Yeah, I mean, I think this would be a fruitful conversation to have with your dad. He's actually being
5: treated for uh, depression. Um, so he, and yeah. I'm sorry, yeah,
0: I'm sorry. You're, you're cutting out, but it, you're saying just, he's being, sorry, you just cut out. You said he's being treated for depression, is that right?
5: Right, that's correct.
0: There is, uh, sorry to give you just a tiny speech, uh, and I'm sorry to be so um, intrusive, but th- there is a level of maturity, I think, that is necessary when we become fully uh, adult and the level of maturity, which I'm not saying you don't have, but I just want to get this point out there for others. The so level of maturity is when we see our parents as uh, young people uh, starting out. There is a kind of level of maturity where we can uh, completely envision them as kids, as, as, as teenagers, as, as young people long before we were around. And that gives us a lot of liberty. There's a lot of freedom in imagining that all of these decisions that they made long before – We came along that had a significant impact on how they related to us or didn't relate to us when we came along, right? There's a lot of freedom. So I think that if you have the chance, it's really helpful and important to talk to your parents about their childhoods and about their teenage years and about their 20s, about things they think they did well, about things that they regretted. Uh, I think those are really, really important because it takes the weight of – it's not a good way of putting it. It illuminates patterns that take the weight of responsibility off us, that we're just, you know, the end of the whip. You know, you flick, you flick a whip like Indiana Jones. The whole thing goes really fast, and then there's this bit at the end that goes whoosh. And well, you know, we as kids, were the end of that. There's a whole arm movement and a whole whip flying through the air before that whip crack of us actually coming into existence. And seeing that arc that led up to us was uh, is really important. I just sort of wanted So, if your dad's alive, which is great, um, I would strongly suggest, you know, sit down and have conversations like, you know, what attracted you to mom and, and what when did you decide to get married and and uh, you know, were there any signs about the problems that showed up later? And don't be satisfied with glib answers, you know, if he's not used to talking about this stuff, but really, you know, just dig in and try to um try to get get this stuff.
5: Right. Yeah, that's definitely something that I'm, I'll I'll consider. Um, you know, I've I've thought about doing that. It's just um I've never really had that kind of open relationship with my father for for whatever reason, I mean, he's a great guy, but as far as his relationship with myself and my brother, he's been more like another kid than a father figure, if that makes any sense. You know, he never really, uh, he never really took that that authority role or that you know kind of kind of you know setting example role. He was always more like a friend than uh, you know than a parent. And growing up um, with him, once he got custody. Wherever we moved, you know, there was always family nearby, and whoever that family was, that's really who watched us. So, if, um, you know, for a while we lived near my grandfather, and so my grandfather, you know, he would he would be the one that made dinner. You know, he would be the one that kind of handled all the responsibility aspects, and my dad was just kind of, you know, I mean, he was he was he was very caring in his way, but he never really uh, he never really stepped up to the plate. If that makes sense.
0: Right, right, and that's very interesting. And I think it will do you an enormous amount of good. And I, I genuinely believe it will do your dad an enormous amount of good to to figure out why. You know, that obviously there was stuff in your dad's childhood and his youth that pushed him in that direction or gave that impetus, that that momentum to avoid those kinds of responsibilities and maturities. To know those things is is fantastic. You know, when we we can see our parents complete and whole. And with all of the influences that they had, we can see them independent of ourselves, which means we are not responsible. It's not just us uh, that they had their whole whole history that came before, and it puts you know <clears throat> the the key thing about life, in my opinion, the key thing to maintaining happiness, is for life to have a kind of shape, for life to have a kind of pattern that's recognizable so things don't just look random well he was like this and she was just that way and you know your mother she's just like this she's just like that where things get sort of explained away at a very shallow level that leave no depth no understanding no pattern of recognition no possibility of predictability you know they do say that those who forget their history or never learn it are doomed to repeat it i think that i mean i'm guessing i don't know your dad obviously i don't even know you but i'm i'm guessing that if your dad had some understanding or some greater understanding as to why he made the choices that he made in his life, his depression would be lessened. Because depression to me is another, is a synonym for incomprehensibility. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why my life is the way it is. I don't know why my life turned out the way it turned out. I don't know why the messes that happened happened. And if you don't know, then you tend to get paralyzed. Because we all have to keep moving forward in life. We all have to keep making decisions in life. And if we don't know what went wrong then we can't fix it and we can't prevent it and it's going to happen again. And if we really don't want it to happen again, whatever bad things happened, and we don't know why they happened in the past, we get paralyzed. And that paralysis to me is a another way of saying depression. Again, it's just my theory, right? I'm not saying it's proven. But but if, you, if you're able to get some shape in your mind to your dad's life so that the causes and effects make sense, I'm not saying determined or, or predict, perfectly predictive, but even in hindsight, we can look at the stuff and say, well, that makes sense. And right. once we get that, you know, like these financial crises that's going on in the United States, I mean, if people genuinely understand what's going on, right, that there's an excess of coercion and fiat currency and, and increased size of, of and power of government that's causing all these problems, then they can fix them. But right. if they don't know what the hell's going on, then they just get kind of paralyzed or keep doing more of the same, which makes them feel worse and worse. So. I think if you can sit down with your dad and have a conversation, and it may be a whole series of conversations, but I'm telling you, there's almost nothing better that you can do in your life than to get the true histories of those around you. It is such a relief, and it is such a a clarification, and there's so much self-knowledge that is involved in the true histories of everyone else around you, particularly those who had such significant impact on you. You almost can't spend your time better. So I know it can be uncomfortable moving this topic into this kind of conversation, but if it's not part of your your history with your dad, but it's you know, I'm telling you, it's 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 worth it's worth giving it your best shot.
5: Yeah, and he's a very approachable guy. Um, you know, I'm sure he'd be willing to at least um, you know speak with me about it. And the, the reason it's become so important for me now is you know now I have a child of my own, and the last thing I want to do is um, you know kind of repeat this pattern because from what he's told me about the way that he grew up, you know, he's he's kind of kind of mirroring his father, you know, the way, the way he kind of reacted with um, myself and my brother, that's kind of the way that he grew up. And so the last thing I want to do is, you know, keep passing this, this pattern along, Um, you know, and, and I I never really understood the significance until I had a child of my own, but, you know, kids are just so, uh, they're just so, to sound cliche, they're so innocent and to, to kind of, you know, indoctrinate a child into something like that. Um, you know, it's definitely something that's very important for me to avoid. so i'll I'll definitely have that uh the conversation with him as soon as I
0: can. I really appreciate that. and uh, I also really appreciate you know, dad to dad, that it is uh, it is a very it can be a very damning or very liberating thing to have kids, and it can be very damning if you repeat the mistakes, but it can be very liberating if you use that as an impetus to avoid those mistakes. And I just hugely applaud you for uh, your commitment to the future health, mental health of your kids. I think that's just fantastic, and they're they're very lucky to have you as a dad, for for what it's worth. And uh, you know, <laughs> kudos and massive props to you. Cool. Thank you. You're very welcome. Well, I'm sorry we didn't have time to get to the easy stories, but no problemo. We will get to those. I had a very interesting a conflict with her this last week that was very illuminating, but we will get to that hopefully this week or perhaps even on the next Sunday show because I'm sure I shall remember it. And uh, thank you everybody so much. Just to remind everyone, uh, it's the uh, cringing vermin on my knees begging for donations time that uh, if you are a regular listener or a new listener who's enthusiastic about the information that's here, we have had to drop some significant cash on a new server. Uh, We are doing 230 gigabytes of downloads a day. It is – and this has nothing to do with YouTube or any of the other sites or any other mirroring or torrents. This is just straight off the smoking network card of the free domain radio server and that is a staggering amount of information. That is a staggering amount of philosophy and I think good arguments that is being pushed out to the planet as a whole. So if you would like to help support this significant <laughs> expansion of our technical capacities, um, please, if you can go to freedomainradio.com forward slash donate, uh, I promise that my um, – I, I mean, I clearly I don't want to start withdrawing from my uh, big – Jacuzzi hot tub filled with liquid gold. Uh, the last thing, given the price of gold and how I think it's going to go up, I don't want to start digging into those kinds of luxuries. I don't want to start digging into the uh, all of the crates of Dom Pérignon I have buried in the backyard because you just never know when Daddy's going to get thirsty. So I, I really don't want to. Um, I don't want to sell the Rolls Royces. Uh, uh, I don't want to uh, uh, let loose any of the minks uh, from uh, from their cages of of massive ermine productivity. So uh, if you know, in, in order to help me avoid cutting into even the slightest thread of my own luxuries, if you could help me to uh, fund money to the bandwidth and to the new server, we've got a server. It's got four times the memory, baby. It's got uh, five times the hard drive space. It's got… Uh, double the number of processors and that's going to help us serve up we are revamping the website to look I think it's really beautiful we've got a fabulously talented graphics artist uh, making this thing look just uh, beautiful and uh, so I think that's really uh, really going to help and so yeah if you would like to chip in and help with this uh, I obviously believe that philosophy is the most important project in the world I think without that all other projects are doomed to failure whether it's human or personal or relational and so if you would like to help uh, cover some of the costs of pushing all of these uh, arguments and videos and um, uh, uh, podcasts out to the world, I would be very happy to, to help, uh, to accept your help. So again, freedomainradio.com forward slash donate. Uh, massively appreciated. Have yourselves a delightfully wonderful week and uh, I will talk to you soon.